everybody, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not recording this podcast or writing all about endurance, sport, and adventure, I'm hopefully outside doing some endurance, sport, or adventure. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we look at we looks at all different types of movements and the people that do them and coach them and study them, and we try and pull that back into things you can use in your own movements and daily life. Solid 80% on that one. Well, there was a little bit of a slip up there, but caught ourselves. You do turned often it, say 80% is a passing grade. Turned it into a sexy dance. Oh, boy. Uh, anyway, what, uh, what's new this week? Well, we were down in Ocean City, Maryland, uh, not for the car racing thing that randomly was happening. Yes, if any listeners were at the car racing thing, Good apology. For you. Yeah, <laughs> apologies for how much I, I made fun well, of you. Well, not this car weekend. racing. I mean, it was interesting. It turned out being sort of just an interesting thing to talk about and some loud car noises. But yeah, there was a, I guess it was like an unofficial car rally of sorts. There wasn't really racing per se going on. But and how do you describe the cars that were involved? I don't know, like tun- tuner cars maybe or something, right? It was a mix of sort of the 1980s, 1990s Honda Civic with wing, you know, sort of rusting out all the way up to. There wasn't really anything super, super fancy, but, you know, like a, whatever, a Porsche or something. Nothing, imagine, nothing like really exotic, I don't think. Imagine if people, like 20-year-olds, tried to do the Fast and the Furious in real life. But I mean, like to each their own. But they, like not They were well. outside. That's what I said. They, you know what? They weren't yeah. on the social media so much, so they were outside doing stuff. Yeah, it's true. So that was an interesting experience. But we were there for the beach. We, we didn't just sit there on the porch the whole time. No, no. no. Uh, it also turned out that Ocean City is not maybe the best place for running trails or hills. Pretty pancake flat, and the only trails are the beach. It's a trail, kind of. Uh, so that that was an interesting weekend of kind of figuring out how to how to work training in. Um, I've also realized in my my old age, I've come to the conclusion that it's okay when you need an extra rest day every now and then. Yeah, that's good, especially when life gets in the way as it does. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually like one of the biggest things I've learned this year is like it, we say it all the time and everyone would generally agree with it that like life stress actually does feed into athletic stress. But I think it's easy to say that, you know, from your high horse of like, I'm currently holding it all together and getting all my training in. But it's a very different thing to realize like, oh, life stress and travel and everything is so much so that no i actually do need to you know tap out for some workouts or cut some short or take an extra day off because i'm cracked from life yeah i don't know i think sometimes when we phrase it as like oh there's this life stress you know there's the training stress and the life stress and it all like it's the same i think that sometimes is like hard for people to accept or or to even just fathom what that means right but i think if you think about it as like you have like energy, you only have so much energy in a day, you know, like, you know, you can only do so much. So if you're moving your house, like that obviously takes energy, you're lifting things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're running all around or, you know, maybe on the flip side, you didn't sleep very well or, you know, you've been out doing whatever um, or you didn't eat great, then like you will, you'll have less energy for the day. Right. And so sort of that like energy balance sometimes is maybe a way to think about it or even just decision making. I think, you know, if you think about it, you have so many decisions you can make in a day. Mm-hmm. Where I think everyone's been there, right? Like you've been at work, it's been super hectic. You've been making big moves, big choices. You know, then it's like the second you get home and you have to decide like red shirt or blue shirt for the run. It's just like, I can't run. 
this is it's yep, over right yep. um so i think that's where sometimes you know there's the sort of cliche hacks of laying stuff out or having you know maybe that's where a coach uh comes in where like there isn't a choice on what workout to do maybe it's sort of there yeah um, and actually it's funny i interviewed katarina nash last week kind of about her world cup win at waterloo and honestly her longevity in the sport we've had her on the podcast before um talking kind of about all things cyclocross mountain bike cross-country ski she's awesome if you haven't listened to that episode go back and listen to it um but we talked a bunch about she's been working with the same coach for 18 years now. And we talked about kind of the importance of that, not having to make that decision of what the right workout for you is that day. And, you know, what the the correct thing to do is and, you know, avoiding that decision fatigue um, and how much that can be really helpful, you know, both from a super high level. But then we also talked about it for sort of the more busy executive type person um, or, you know, even like even if you're not a busy executive but you just are you know trying to improve your training and just don't really know what exactly to do it can be really stressful to try to be playing a big pretty big guessing game i think yeah and i think i i as i've gotten older i think i've just gotten comfortable you know i'll sort of i'll go and do something most days but you know there'll be what's in the plan and if i get out there and it's just like i'm not super into it or energy doesn't seem like it's there then i'll I'll sort of do like I can pretty much do 90 minutes, but some days it's 30 um, and I'll just do something. Right. And then at least it's done. And then I'll sort of move on from there and sort of readjust. And sometimes that means trying the intensity again the next day or two later. And sometimes it just means moving on. Right. And being happy, you know, just making sure that the next time I'm supposed to do intensity, I actually do it. Right, so that I right. get one in in the week, right? And I've sort of come to terms that like it's not three times anymore. Like when I was eighteen, and I could sort of just recover and hit it again, and then go for it. It's sort of a lot of times it's just busy, and if I can get one good one that sort of simulates, you know, or, or approaches some of those race like situations or whatever I'm trying to get better at, usually that's some sort of like sprinting or or just you know the critical moment for mountain biking is usually in that first lap. So it's just if I can feel that once a week and then sort of maintain endurance and coordination and stuff then often that's as good as it gets right and mm -hmm. so i think that all leads into one of the questions we were going to talk about today and i was going to put it lower in the show but i think we might as well kind of hit it segue now. it nicely sure segue it nicely yeah so this is uh our second cyclocross q a episode because the first one we did a couple weeks back overwhelming demand overwhelming demand um i mean moderately whelming i'd say Whelming demand. Well, perhaps. maybe our we we have a low tolerance for the demand, so it's there high. It's high relative to our our capacity. Great, perfect, beautiful. Um, anyway, we got a bunch more follow up questions, so we wanted to kind of do a second round of these because I mean, cyclocross is, as we said in the first episode, one of my absolute favorite things, and it's a really fun sport to talk about. And I mean, I think the the energy demands on it, the gear demands, it's all just really interesting. I would say so. Yeah. Like it's a, a sport that you can certainly be quite, quite fit, you know, riding your trainer, or riding on the road and then just be completely not even part of the thing. If you don't have the, the gear or the setup or the strategy or the start position or. And then flip side, you can have all the skills and all of the gear, but if you don't have any, like the fitness, you're going to get left behind on the start line. Right. Right. Or, or just as the race goes on. Right. So it's just such yeah. a demanding sport pretty much from every level. So I think it's such a good one to really dig into, um, even if you don't necessarily do cyclocross. Um, anyway, so the, the first question is, so cyclocross, you know, for those who are newer to it, often involves a lot of double weekends and, 
you can pretty much during the season race every weekend. And, you know, as it's gotten er crept earlier and earlier, like oftentimes you go pretty much from the end of your mountain biking road, whatever summer season, pretty much directly into racing twice a weekend in cyclocross and everyone gets really really psyched at the beginning of cyclocross season because cyclocross is really fun you get to see all your friends the racing is a really good time but it's also a huge demand like and not just on you know your body that weekend but then the recovery and the gear cleaning and the gear replacing and all of that uh, so everyone gets really excited about it for the first two or three weekends and then by weekend four they're starting to feel really burned out already. So the first question was kind of like, how do you, what do you do when, you know, you're not even a third of the way into your season and you're already feeling like, ugh, it's done. Are we there? Like you're, you're already burnt out or how do we avoid it? Uh, I guess both. Oh, okay. Um, the, I mean, I think some of this comes back to like, what is the actual goal of the year, right? So some people, you know, the weather is good usually on the first month, you know, that September, October, so maybe that's fine. Maybe you just go hard on that. You're fit and those are the fun races. They're clean. It's not as hard on equipment. You don't maybe need two bikes. Um, you know, it's certainly faster cleanup. Your energy is maybe high if you haven't burnt uh, already from the summer events. So maybe that's fine. And then that's your goal. Like maybe you just stop racing come October, November once the weather gets. And that's how a lot of years we would do it because I only had one bike. And, you know, I, I didn't really care so much about the mudding and stuff. So sort of we got one mutter in and then the bike was busted and that was the end of it right so i guess that's that could be one goal but if your goal is okay i want to make it to nationals which for canada sort of november early november uh or if you're in the u.s i think it's december now right yeah they're back to december. and that's probably most of our listeners right so i mean i think if if that's the goal then i would certainly be selective about what events you know for qualifying what events are the highest quality you certainly put a fun factor um, but I think for most working people, the the doubles are tough. It's I think we start out real strong, and we probably shouldn't. Like it's yeah. probably better to start. So many the people they have like, kids that are going, and it's you know t you're you're off work on Friday. You're prepping bikes. You may be doing an opener workout. You know it's very quickly late at night. Dinner's disrupted. You have to be at the race probably really early. Long day. You want to stay in cheer. You know, if again, if you have family members, friends, and stuff, right? It's long, and then you're sort of clean up the gear, have it back for Sunday. So, and then it's all of a sudden you're back at work Monday. So then it's like, if we're talking about that, like how much energy do you have to train and recover and and all this stuff throughout the week, right? It, you can see how that, like, oh, it's fine for one weekend, but then that next week, next week, mm -hmm. gets tough. So I think if if you have to do doubles, and that sometimes is the circumstance for qualifying or fun or your goals or whatever, then just being careful with maybe use a off day on a Monday um, or partial off day to get cleaned up and slept. And just how many doubles you do. Like to me, it really like a month should, and this is, this is totally like off the cuff. I think a month should really only have like four hard, like hard races in it. I think it's tough. Like I just finished Meb's. I, I'm not even going to pronounce his last name. I just tried to look it up and I'm not going to try, but Meb, who's like the most famous of the U S marathoners. Um, like he did 26 marathons in his life, like his career, his story career. He won two of them. I, I don't want to misrepresent that two or three, um, but had some great performances in there. But like he is like highly celebrated as a marathoner, right? 26 in his career. Yeah. Right. And he would do other races, shorter races in the season, but like the number of races are so few. And I don't know. I think you could make an argument either way that, you know, 
us regular people can do a bit more because we're not pushing quite as hard but it's like we take longer in a marathon aspect you know we're no one's doing two-hour marathons like meb um so I, I think we just need to be careful because he also like you know isn't cleaning stuff necessarily afterwards he's yeah, got that's pe- right. he's not going to work he has people handling stuff once he had kids his wife was you know obviously a big part of that and, and handled and was willing to do a lot of that stuff so it's if you're handling any of that, I think we just need to be careful, right? And I guess it's a downer because, like, we want to support the organizers. We want to be out there supporting our community. I mean, um, I've said it a million you times. Can volunteer. Like, you can volunteer. Yep, yep. Single day race. So I think just uh, without being a downer, I think just look at your goals. We're going through a bunch of goal setting right now with a lot of my clients. Not so much the cyclocross ones, but a few of them. And just revisiting and thinking, okay, like, in a couple of years, who do I want to be? What do I want to do in sport? Um, you know, and that's global and pretty fuzzy. You know, what next year, next block, what are the like outcomes I want? So that could be I want to win nationals um, and then some process goals for that. You know, I need to increase my power. I need to learn how to bunny hop a barrier or like even a two by four. I can't bunny hop at all. So that's a goal I want to go in. And then there's like some habits for like this week, this month. We're going to pull out of that as far as like, OK, I'm going to go get coaching because I've been trying to pop this barrier and I can't figure it out. So I'm going to get coaching. That was a, a sort of a plug. But there you go. Um, you know, I want to increase power. So I need to do one good, I'm going to commit to one good threshold workout on the trainer. I'm going to do it every Wednesday. I'm going to like block this out. That's that sort of process goal. Um, and then sort of that sort of then fills in, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, then what races can I fit in? Right. And sort of scheduling wise, what makes sense towards that goal for nationals? What makes sense towards that threshold goal? Does it make sense to get a threshold workout in and maybe an endurance workout a couple weekends and skip racing? Mm-hmm. you know and, and that's with start position stuff so i think just sometimes backing out like do i need to do all these races or am i just getting caught up in the excitement which is hard and, and we all do but yeah right and sometimes that's fine there's lots of people that their goal is i want to like i have clients like this i want to race every single race just try and keep me healthy and like try and keep fitness from not decreasing and just like falling away right well and as long as they're still excited that's awesome it's really just like kind of monitoring i think this is a self-monitoring thing like after every weekend kind of that assessment right. of like am i still feeling good am i still feeling excited was i dreading well maybe that's a way that so let's race? say okay maybe some people are not in their heads like i want to to do the i want to be that person that's just holding on you know throughout the week and racing all weekend you know i have the weekends off that's what i do that's social that's where my family is i want to be at all those and i want to race so then those people i think are the ones that like you can't do a lot during the week right this is very much like recovery maybe a bit of endurance maybe some like spin-ups like three by 30 second spin-ups you know maybe like there's just not a lot of intensity i would pull any midweek stuff like you got to pick where you're doing this stuff right i think you got to be careful yeah i think a lot of the people that we run into that are dealing with what we'll call cyclocross burnout are the ones that are doing double doubles on the weekend and like a wednesday night they might even be going to like a tuesday or thursday kids practice or something yeah and i think if you're young and you know you don't have stuff maybe that can work do you think uh maybe better you get away with maybe better yeah yeah yeah. but and i think that also depends on who you are as a person at that midweek race sure so you know i used to go to the rucker so when i was first getting into cyclocross i was on rucker cycling we had a wednesday night practice but honestly it was you know an hour of a bit of drills and then like a few hot laps but like we didn't take it seriously. Right. And maybe you could just focus on, you know, the first five pedal strokes of the start and then just like, you know, yeah. you know pick your, pick your, 
your fight, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It was like a play race and like no one was a jerk about it. No one was like really going super hard and like trying to, you know, elbows out. Except with the exception, and I'm going to say it, Mike Garrigan would show up to our practice occasionally and then well, suddenly and maybe, the, maybe that's the pace important. would, uh, maybe the pace would pick up. But luckily I was not part of the uh, that crew, so I was kind of just behind them yeah so i think just looking at you know how are how are you doing we all have because you're sort of thinking optimistically about yourself right but you're like okay well how have i done in the past what did i feel like in november last year what i was also probably already so burned out because i (laughs) like the last year i raced cross i raced an ironman and like on sunday and showed up to cross practice on wednesday and started racing the next week so at no point was i not burned out i should also just add that caveat (laughs) Yeah, so I think just being wary of that, right, and, and picking and choosing your battles. I think Molly's point about you can go do some of these things and help out, you know, maybe even the cross practice, you're more there setting up stakes and, and helping that way. I have a couple of clients that go and sort of help, um, you know, lead the women's ride. Um, you know, they're women who are quite good, and so they go and just sort of give back that way, and that's probably very energetic, and they feel really good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, w- what is the goal? And then just how are you doing right now? tweak something you know pull out a race pull out a, a night of being out and about pull out an interval session often the less this time of year right yeah absolutely we can start accumulating again after race season yeah okay well that's lots i think waxing poetically mm-hmm. or not so much okay let's let's talk some gear stuff because i mean again cyclocross gear heavy sport so first question we got is just over the years what are some good basically like free speed hacks that we've gotten yeah, a couple of questions sort of in this direction, right? We all want the quick fix, I guess, right? But there are some things that I think sometimes people don't realize, right? I was going to say cyclocross is actually one of the few sports where I do think like there are some good gear hacks that make a difference. I mean, uh, to be honest, like for me, tire pressure was like this game changing thing where I'd heard for years that tire pressure right. mattered. So the tire pressure gauge, and like, like in a, getting a digital gauge for, for mountain, really any off-road discipline. I feel like if you need that, um, tire pressure is pretty critical to not crashing, like sliding out on stuff, braking, comfort. Um, so for cyclocross, especially if you're using like a actual cyclocross tire, like under 33 or whatever it is, um, it's not a lot of tire, no matter what type of tire you're using. So the tire pressure makes a huge difference in cornering. So getting a digital gauge, which we've linked to a bunch and talked about on the podcast, but I think the Topeak the one Topeak is one's the one I like. Yeah, under thirty bucks on Amazon. Yeah, Super and the good. only for cyclocross, the only exception is that like it doesn't do like uh, decimal points. So some people get that like they want to do twenty six point five, and with the smaller tire, it does. It is slightly different. I never cared that much. Um, but that's the only exception with the Topi because it doesn't go quite that fine. Yeah, I just don't know any of any that are super, super good that are also reasonably expensive. And like that Topi one is bomb proof. Like that thing has seen some things. Yeah, it's usually I lose it before I break it. So which maybe isn't saying much. Uh, okay, so tire pressure. Toe, toe spikes. I always forget about them. But if you're doing any running uphill on sand or mud which is cyclocross anyone who didn't have toe spikes in waterloo at the world cup last weekend oh that would have been hilarious literally sliding down the hill like there was one point where i think it was katie compton even had toe spikes in oh yeah and just couldn't get enough purchase and 
the 15 time national champion is just sliding down this hill trying to claw her way up well that one was really steep yeah yeah if you haven't watched the replays or highlights from the waterloo world cup it was as far as like what is cyclocross it's probably a good one um but yeah you, you can get toe spikes to put screw into the like the toes of your shoes it's sort of like rugby cleats work i think as well i remember going doing that but now i would imagine online like i know jeremy powers used to always get like some specific there's a couple of brands out there that make different like forms like there'll be yeah. like a flattened one or a rounded one cross different running heights. spikes also work for okay those. yeah it's a pretty standard screw size hole and then it's it's really just like a spike in two spikes in your toes i think the caveat to this one is not leaving your toe spikes in like they're really for muddy icy like crappy races but they're not going to be super helpful if it's a dry day and you know there's not a really steep hill where you're going to need them. So, I think, especially if they're like serious big ones, because exactly. they do affect running. Um, not that you would run on pavement or anything, but like a hardened surface, it, it's like weird. It's almost like having a road shoe on because your toe gets stuck up mm -hmm. if, if it can't puncture into the ground. Um, yeah. So just they're they're on and then they're off. Oh, and make sure you put the the little screw back in the holes yeah. uh, when you take them off, because otherwise you will clog them with mud and it will be like next to impossible to get the toe spikes back in. I think changing on the note of shoes, changing your cleats, maybe just even once like ahead of cyclocross season, just so your shoe cleats are so to clip into your shoes, your pedals, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, that's often overlooked in cyclocross. You're clipping in and out a lot, uh, you know, and you're walking around a lot. So those cleats go through a lot. So I think even if you're serious about cross and you're going to these people going to like late November, December, I would even do a mid-season change, maybe having two sets of shoes. I try and push, most of my clients are what I would call, I, I'm sort of making this umbrella term of off-road. Like no one's racing road for the most part. There's a few who do crits and stuff and for sure then teach their own. But I try and push like just no road shoes. And I, I think, like that. I think just because like I, I decided this early in my career that I'd just rather have two sets of mountain bike shoes so that when they get wet, you know, or I'm traveling or whatever, I have options. Uh, but then also just if you're thinking the importance of clipping in and out to cycle cross. So you have your start. Everyone, oh, I can never clip in. I don't know how to clip in. I didn't get clipped in. Race is ruined. I didn't clip in. So like when you think about how frequent people talk about that, I couldn't clip in running in mud. Like oh, my, my cleats got all bunged up and I didn't know how to unclip. So how much that comes into our language and stories of the race. To me, it's I have a hard time saying, okay, well, go and learn a completely different way to clip into those pedals in your limited amount of time you have to train. Go, go and do that. You know, when you're on the trainer all winter and you clip in and out and you're doing one legs, do that with the road shoes and don't practice your your mountain bike, right? I, I just have a hard time with that logic when we're, especially when we're very time grudge. If you're an elite and you're getting paid, do whatever you want. I am not a road racer, but for us time crunch people, I think it makes a lot of sense if you're not seriously racing road. Like I've gone in stage races. There's lots of people that race with mountain bike shoes. I think uh, Specialized or GCN did like a good comparison between the two and they couldn't really find, it wasn't a compelling reason to even use road shoes. No, like I've, I've always been mountain shoes. I also just find them more comfortable on my feet to be totally honest. Mm -hmm. but yeah. The only thing people say is like on a long ride, they feel like it's more stable and maybe their foot doesn't get numb or something, but then you'll hear just as many people talk about the stiffness makes their foot go numb. Yeah, and, exactly. And then they're falling downstairs at the coffee shop and I don't know. 
Anyway, yes. um, the only other thing with petals that I was thinking about is um, it, it was uh, an old hack of like spraying a little bit of Pam or. Yeah, I don't know. Has that been the, debunked? I don't know that it's been debunked. We used to always I've done do that. It, yeah. That was so, yeah. So if the race is particularly muddy. That bike lust stuff works pretty well too. Mm-hmm. Like any polish on your bike, I guess. Yeah, basically just giving your, your pedals like a little squirt of, yeah, WD-40 or Pam That's or whatever. Yeah. Really helped uh, just kind of keep them moving, keep, the, keep them from getting as bunged up we'll say with mud and worth practicing right we had a muddy race i think a bunch of races were muddy i should say over these last couple weeks uh around the world uh but just practicing getting your feet into mud and running in mud and just like it's it's hard with trail advocacy and not ruining parks but you know figuring it out uh before the race or or maybe that's a reason like if you're like oh it's muddy today i'm sad it's muddy for this race i'm going to well you know treat it as practice if nothing else actually i'm sort of sad i'm not racing cross this this year because i was thinking about this exact thing the other day uh we were walking on the beach in ocean city and my sister hadn't walked on a beach in years uh just because she has she's been too busy with work to come down to the beach at all uh so we were out for a walk yesterday morning and she was having the hardest time and she's like my calves are killing me my hips are killing me like because it was pretty soft sand and her feet were like sinking into it yeah so almost like it would be running through mud and all i could think was like man i'd be so good at cyclocross right now because i have actually put in a lot of time on sand this summer sand is a great way to expose whatever is limiting you um yeah it's 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 challenging like i always struggle with my feet and ankles and I don't know. I, I find it. It's also forgiving in some ways. Like I, I always find personally that it, it's like it, you feel the niggles, but I never find that it like I've had it like, oh, like they just like this injury has gone to complete, you know, got like worse. No, I think it just like brings awareness to whatever. We talked to Jax Mariosh on a podcast about desert yeah. racing. So that might be an interesting one to re- go back and find. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes, but she she races like in deserts for very long distances, and we talked a bunch about sand and sand running. So, if that's something you're you're keen on, uh, but we were talking about getting your oh, so when your cleats when they get muddy, people get really really frustrated about this. But the the trick is that you need to like think down and back, like more of like a d- back and a very like loose like floppy toe, floppy foot when you're hitting your shoe so you can't have like people will do it like really angrily and really like down with a stiff ankle but you need to think like whipping your toe um i'm doing a very odd motion with my wrist right now to try and like like as if you're like slapping a bug or something but almost backwards because if you're going very stiff and down you're like in my brain at least you're smashing the mud into the cleat and you're not cleaning the cleat. So first you're thinking like trying to whip out anything out of your shoe and hitting the pedal and spinning the pedal almost. Sort of picture a horse. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. Like even if you think about like I want to spin the pedal b- with my toe like mm. and hit the cleat, then the, the pedal will like get a jarred and spin. And then your cleat will also like be able to clear backwards basically without the pounding it in with the shoe. And then you can try and like wiggle your foot into the cleat. Um, that combined with just using those shoes and cleats all the time, I think really helps. Like there's the odd time, sure it freezes and it's like you're in trouble. But I think if you think about like spinning the pedal with like a very loose floppy foot, you will have better, better luck. Weird, but okay. I'm here for it. Any other gear hacks? 
Um, we talked about bottles. I mean, there's lots of bottles now, like cyclocross generally doesn't have bottles on the bike. Um, so bottle in your back pocket, you know, at practice works okay. Throwing it, you know, using it as a pylon works. Um, but if you're going actually on a training ride, it can be annoying sort of strapping those bottles. Like you've always had a magnetic thing where the whole cage goes onto like a little magnetic, uh, bracket and then the cage, ma- yeah, the bottle, the bottle, there mounts. is no cage. Right, 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 right. And it just snaps onto this, like, and there's many variations of yeah, that there's Velcro, like Velcro bottles. Ones. Um, I don't know what else I've been using with gravel now. I think that's somewhat informing some of the cyclocross. Like I pretty much just ride with my, uh, my pack, uh, when I do go on training rides right now, cause we're doing, you know, there's cyclocross practice during the week and stuff. Uh, so yeah, if, if you're someone who's raced gravel, like you just throw that pack on and go do your endurance ride. I think it's sort of simplified some of this, right? And if you were going to stop and do cross practice, there's a pile on, you just take your pack off and throw it on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that's a good one. so feeding for that, I think is, is good. Is there any other quick cyclocross? Oh, I have one that's very tiny. Um, this is for kind of anyone actually racing is, uh, you know, when you get the numbers, uh, so you get your numbers and they have four little tiny holes on the sides and that's what you normally would put your pins through. Right. So instead of putting your pins through the little holes, you actually like double, like you stick the pin through the paper twice. So in through your skin suit yeah. and then out. Yeah. Um, this just makes it lay a lot flatter and a lot neater and you you're more aerodynamic but also it's just less likely to come like ripped like to rip off and like start flapping in the wind right um it's a weird thing that i've only ever really seen like road racers do it so cyclocrossers do it but i was at a running race and i had like three people come up to me and be like what are you doing with your numbers right and i kind of explained to them and they were like Oh my God, that's genius. Yeah. It yeah. It definitely really works. Funny thing works that... really nice having those pins laying flat. Yeah. yeah. So you sort of, if you picture it on top of your jersey, you put the pin through just the like anywhere really on the paper, but sort of beside, like forget about the holes, not through the holes, down through the paper, through your shirt, back up through your shirt, back up through the paper, and then repin it. And then the pin lays really flat. And you sort of get two holes for the price of one. And the pin sort of provides this stiffness to the, to the, the paper, right? Yeah. So that's, that's my that's hack. That's a good one. Uh, we're going to do some stuff. The other question was about sort of setting up the car and not having it so crazy. So yeah, that's sort of so. Ha- hacks in a way. So do you want to transition to that one? I do. Yeah. So this is my like absolute favorite question. Someone asked how to organize gear for cyclocross because she feels like every time she races, the car is just like a complete mess by the end of the weekend. And I mean, first of all, unfortunately, like that's just kind of the nature of the beast, especially honestly, as it gets colder and crappier out, Right. I think the tendency becomes more and more to you know, instantly just start throwing crap in the car just to get warm and out of the rain as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came up with some a list of sort of some of my things. Um, she was asking about like, oh, do you use storage bins and all that stuff? And so what I've kind of figured out over the years is the best system is actually just like something that's going to be versatile enough that it's easy to carry in places and it's easy to maneuver and break down and I've tried plastic bins. I really like the aesthetic of like a car that's full of like very neatly piled and organized plastic bins, but it's not really practical, you know, especially if you're staying at a hotel or host housing or something. And, you know, all of your stuff is like neatly stored in bins, but now you have to bring these bins inside to a host house. Like it's kind of weird. Um, So I think while bins are really nice and look great, they end up being kind of useless after a while. 
Um, and they just take up more space, right? Like if you have an empty bin that's just sitting in your car, like half full or, you know, it's half full or whatever, you know, you're, you're wasting that space. Um, so what we do now is we both have pretty giant duffel bags and we can maybe even link to one of them, like one of the cheap ones on Amazon. It's just like a big canvas bag with like one zip, like the simplest bag you can possibly imagine, but like large and with a really wide zipper opening. And then in that, we use a lot of smaller bags. Um, so smaller mesh bags that have kind of different uh, different stuff in them, right? Like Peter has a designated glove bag in his. Yeah, there's like glove and then warmers and then like a shorts jersey one and then cold weather stuff. If it's for cross or something like in the winter, I'd have like, I call it the holy SHIT uh, bag. And that's just like, really warm weather like really like a full really cold weather what uh yeah sorry yeah i guess more so uh and the like rain so like full rain pants like waterproof pants waterproof jacket winter jacket usually another winter jacket and maybe some like a a toque a woolen hat if you will and yeah just anything that like is a little extra but i usually throw one of those bags in and then there'll be like a clothes bag of my clothes for just walking around yeah, um, for water bottles, the organizational thing we've found is um, a lot of wine stores, if you get like six bottles of wine, not that I'm suggesting anyone should go out and buy six bottles of wine, sometimes they give you like a cloth bag that holds the six bottles, right. and it has like six little compartments. Those are super nice for organizing your water bottles. Peter actually has like a hard plastic one. Yeah, but- if you look at a hockey store or a lacrosse store, or oh, probably okay. any team sports would, would have this like we have played against sports or what would be another sort of chain in the States. I don't know, source for sports or something. Any of those like places they'll have like, and they're pretty big often like a goalie bottle or hockey bottle is a little bigger diameter, but they'll have a plastic thing uh, that you can put bottles in. So like a bottle carrier and you can get really deluxe ones. Cause like a full hockey team's trainer would have to carry like 24 bottles. So that's maybe more than you need, but I would go look at that. Like some of those stores, if you go and think about your sport, when you go to them, you can like really repurpose a lot of like we're talking about. Basically, we have we have hockey bags that we filled with tinier, you know, shoe bags, helmet bags, and then we're talking about a water bottle holder, you know, that's plastic. And then we were talking about rugby cleats. You could probably outfit yourself quite well for cyclocross. You could get pylons and cones for practice. It's true. Agility stuff, right? There's be yeah. a whole. Well, and then I actually also like going to more of like a Home Depot-y type sure, store for, for bins for so bins but then what uh the what washer. i think what we got really turned on to with years of working with aspire and the mechanics is like they always had kind of almost like fishing tackle boxes that held like the tiny pieces right like the tiny extra screws the toe spikes right like all of the little stuff cabling any of the any of the small bike specific stuff they'd have in these little like yeah fisherman tackle boxes or uh, like handyman boxes. I'm not describing it super well, but mm-hmm. I think that was that was probably like the most organized I'd ever seen someone. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely if you have tools or like Molly's saying, even just the the shoe parts and and that sort of stuff. And I guess in in my bike bag too, I often I do have like a bag that just has like the miscellaneous accessories. So like a light, uh, my sunglasses case would be in there, chamois cream, that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And that's in like another bag. Yeah. Uh, I put pins and just sort of like put the pins through that. Cause you're always looking for pins and zip ties. Um, so yeah. that's, so, but the car, so I think 
So the other some people thing, would have a rack, right? So a rack outside. So that might be a solution for yeah. some people. The other thing. So then, yeah, I was thinking about keeping it clean. So kind of that post race, like it's muddy. So we talked about this a bit on the last show. Um, I find a camp shower, especially like just the they're like 10 bucks. They're giant black bags, basically. And you can put them on your hood of your car. And even when it's cold out, it will actually warm up pretty well in mm-hmm. if it's in the sun. They're great for being able to just hose yourself down a little bit after the race. If it's super muddy, it's really nice to just be able to rinse off with warm water instead of try to like scrape mud off with a towel. Um, And then a little weed sprayer or some, you know, small sprayer type thing just to be able to rinse off your bike in the parking lot um, is really, really helpful because often the pressure washers are really hard to get to. Or, you know, you're walking all the way across the course and now by the time you've rolled your bike back, somehow it's muddy again. Um, so having that's really nice just to be able to quickly clean. The other thing I was thinking about is actually putting, getting a smaller, like I say black tarp because I really don't like how the blue ones look, but if you get like a small, like six by nine foot black tarp, you could actually just put that down in the back of your car before the weekend starts just to kind of protect your upholstery. So no matter what mud and stuff gets kicked in and mud and stuff will get kicked in, uh, you can just take that and shake it out at the end of the weekend. Right. Um, having garbage bags on hand is the yeah. other really big thing. Yeah, for clothes yeah. or shoes. Like get that wet stuff into a garbage bag like before it touches your car. Well, I was going to say some people will do, again, a Home Depot, you can get buckets that have screw on top. So they're pretty like if they fell over in the car. I mean, you could fasten them or position them in the car so they ideally wouldn't fall over. Um, but if you get one of those screw on tops and put hot water with suds in it, then you can sort of come back and have a sponge and sort of clean yourself off. Yeah, that's a good um, point. And then I've seen people just like you drop, it's already suds. So you just drop your clothes, even your shoes yeah. in, and then it's at least staying wet. Yeah, because the big thing you don't want to do is let your clothes dry dirty. Because right. once they dry when they're muddy, it's it's stained. Um, so even even actually with the, the um, garbage bag, just make sure you kind of twist the top. If you are just using a garbage bag for wet stuff just so it isn't getting a ton of air in it so it won't actually dry like it'll stay wet for a a long time if it's in a sealed garbage bag yeah i wouldn't leave that for too long this stuff gets musty get to that quickly but uh, and then the only other thing i thought about was just um i'm i'm a huge fan of just having black or brown towels on hand i've seen so many people just destroy white towels or like you know the nice like yellow towels that they had in the bathroom at home that they threw in the car Mm -hmm. just week after week like man you can get some cheap black towels that you know they hide grease they hide mud i'll do a little shout out i have a really good shred girls beach towel right now that's kind of my new favorite cyclocross accessory um because it's it's shred girls but it's also mostly black so it is good for hiding that bike grease um, but yeah whatever you have just some rags and some black towels and if you care about the aesthetics of how like messy your car looks i feel like black and brown towels just don't look quite as grungy by the end of the weekend yeah yeah i think that makes sense just having junky towels is probably an asset um yeah so that was kind of the the ones i thought about anything to add I don't know. It really depends on the car, right? Like some people will have full size vans that you can sort of just like wash it. But I think your thought about either a old blanket or a a towel in the or sorry, even a towel, but a a tarp in the back is a great one. Yeah. um, I'm also going to do this whole thing that we just talked about in an article over on the outdoor edit with links to all of the stuff that I would recommend. So if anyone wants to check that out, that's going to be up later this week. 
just because this is a topic that I love so much. I'm organizationally obsessed. So. Some people will get too. I mean, you start building out how many things you have in your car and this is why cyclocross is crazy. But uh, that just having like some sort of pop-up tent or like large umbrella type thing that you could sort of set your, if you're going to set up a trainer behind your car, that's sort of a common setup, right? So trying to figure out that sort of stuff, like can, can you sort of set yourself up a little bit of a, a tent in the parking lot to warm up and stay warm and dry off and change and this sort of stuff, right? Like that, if you're serious about this and spending a lot of time at those races, it might be worth, you know, getting something. You can get those tents now relatively mm-hmm. affordably. So awesome. All right. Next question is a real quick one. Someone asked me about rain boots for cross. Um, I admit I used to be one of those people that ended up, I think I've probably bought like 10 pairs of, you know, $15 galoshes over the years because you know, the cheap like rubber galoshes are kind of a pain in the butt to travel with because they take up a ton of space. Um, like in your, if you're flying, like right. it's so hard to pack galoshes. So I would end up not bringing them places like Austin, Texas for nationals where it was going to be dry and sunny and 70 degrees and have it pour rain and have to go to the store and try to find galoshes, uh, which were very hard to find in Texas where it doesn't really rain that much. Um, so I've spent a lot of money over the years on just rebuying galoshes. Um, but then I finally, I have kind of two options now that I really like. Um, I have a pair from Vivo Barefoot that I love because they pack down to almost nothing. So I can shove them into a carry-on bag if I'm flying and yeah, they don't take up any space. I was so happy to have them in Madison. They're also easier to run around in. So the problem with like the cheap galoshes that you'd get at, you know, Home Depot or Walmart or wherever is that they don't bend at all. So if you're in the pit or you're trying to run around the course or anything, um, it can be really uncomfortable to try to get around in regular galoshes. So I like um, kind of folding pairs. So they don't make the ones that I have anymore, but I found a couple of travel friendly ones that are just, yeah, really soft did rubber. It. Did you see that? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Oh, so we'll link to that one. But I also found a couple on Amazon that are a little cheaper that are more travel oriented. So they're still rubber galoshes, but they just bend a lot more than traditional ones. Mm. So I find them... Yeah, definitely the best. Or if it's cold weather you're thinking about, um, investing in a pair of bogs is the best thing I've ever done. Um, they're ne- they have neoprene outers and then like rubber bottoms, but they're re- they're really really warm. They're super waterproof and they bend with you because the like from the ankle up they're neoprene, so they actually are easier to run around in. If you are a female with feet smaller than, I'm going to say, like eight and a half, maybe, you can actually wear kid sizes. Uh, so you, you can get them for pretty much like half price. So that's my that's my little hack there. I have a pair of children's ones that have lasted me for seven or eight years now, and they're amazing. Yeah, I think it's uh, as someone who's very resistant to having too many things and too many shoes, uh, if you're going to do cyclocross, you pretty much need some sort of rain boot, waterproof pant, waterproof jacket maybe a hat some gloves a lot of different types of gloves actually so i think getting start with just don't overthink the boots i think probably insulated boots like if you go to a farm store or something they usually have a good selection of different types of rubber boots because farmers spend a lot of time in rubber boots talking to a farmer about what boots they wear is often maybe a good strategy Uh, but yeah you need your enjoyment of the weekend if you're going to be the person we talked about in the beginning is that these races constantly it's only a matter of time and if you can just pull that stuff out it's like it's not even raining right once i got 
waterproof boots and pants and i would just start like i just walk around town when it's pouring rain because i can right so it, it's pretty game big j- game changer so definitely look into your your boot pant jacket strategy yeah um okay this one you might have some feelings on um can we talk about the benefit of switching from clincher to tubeless so not tubular this guy does not have multiple sets of tires for cross or right. multiple yeah he just doesn't have multiple wheel sets he's not gonna have like you know three sets of tubulars so he's looking much more like okay he has clinchers now is there a point to going tubeless i mean i think you could if if there's some budget i think you could run tubular just in a like middle of the road uh diamond tread what i would like a griffo in challenge tires um so not a full-on mud tire and certainly not a semi-slick uh like diamond tread or file tread i should say that's still a pretty big cost commitment though i'm gonna argue because the tires themselves like okay yeah griffo's totally reasonable price for a tire but you also then have to buy tubular like tubular like wheels for that yeah you're definitely like in for minimum a grand i mean i think the price is becoming more reasonable but yeah it's certainly an outlay it is beneficial um i i don't know really how to quantify it but yeah to me i'm actually still pretty much clinchers like i've raced on tubulars and i i like them but ultimately you know for what i do and it sounds like for what this guy does like clinchers still make sense um I asked Powers, and I don't know if he would accept this quote uh, still, um, but I asked him way back when he was, you know, up at the front of World Cups and and races in general. And he thought, like, the difference would be he would still be able to be on the lead lap, but, like, would not be at the front of the race anymore. In the Men's World Cup in Europe. Right, but there's definitely, like, a percentage point or two there, right? So... I don't know if that expands. There's still a price and there's still, you know, you're still trade off between what do you do when it rains or when it's, you know, really dry. I think a lot of people in most of the races could get away with one, but you are like, it's going to flat and it's going to cost money. Um, it's not perfect in every condition. So tubeless, a lot of people find it's still finicky. I think it's gotten a lot better and it's one of those things I saw it in mountain biking. Like I think you just got to sort of give it a, a chance, but I personally, I would just stick still for the sake of ease and expense um, and just compatibility with just sort of challenge makes uh, sort of a cotton side walled clincher tire. You use a tube inside. Some people use latex tubes. I can't be bothered. Um, but I think yeah. that's actually probably the best point is just the tube, like the actual tires themselves that you can use if you're running clinchers versus tubeless. I think the tires are themselves are much better and more supple compared to what the so. tubeless ones are. Yeah, the ten- and I mean rims have changed a little bit. You can maybe go a bit wider, especially if you're not getting your tires aren't getting measured, right? I think that's the thing that is getting missed still in cyclocross is most people's tires never get measured. So you still you have the option to go wider, which would enhance how good the tubeless tire is, I think, because I think that's what still is tough when the tubeless tire is really small volume. Uh, it's maybe more subject to getting pulled off the rim and stuff. But I think if you can run wider tires, then maybe there's there's a a tweak you can make there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would just run cotton sidewall tires. and Yeah, rather than investing in a tubeless, like doing a tubeless setup, I would just invest in yeah, a nicer set of clinchers. <laughs> yeah, just we that's what we have. We have mud and all around. I don't generally bother with file treads. But, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's where I would go, but I, I think people are discounting tubeless just because it's been 
you know, like anything, sort of a early adoption. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's an answer for anyone, but I felt like that answer. I think if you stuff. have the budget, the two the tubulars are are worth doing, but yeah, you got to be pretty into it. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so this next one is less of a question and more of a comment from uh, Kathy Herzog, who was on with us talking about athletes and anxiety a couple months back. Um, and she races some cross in New England, so she's she's right in the heart of cyclocross in the U.S., or the former heart of cyclocross in the U.S. It's actually been really sad lately to see the number of UCI races leaving New England when that's kind of where the hub used to be, but right. that's neither here nor there. Um, she wanted us to kind of address some etiquette stuff in cyclocross. So, you know, last week, we t- or two weeks ago, we talked a bunch about pre-riding and how to do a pre-ride and stuff, and she made a really good point of, you know, really make sure – you can definitely pre-ride. That's a great idea. But make sure you're looking at the schedule and you know when your your pre-ride window is or rather when there's a pre-ride window that is not for you. Because um, there are pre-ride windows that are elite only or even like women elite only or men elite only um, during the day. So really just making sure if you're not in that category, you're not getting on the course because it's you know pretty rude to do that. Uh, there's a reason those are designated as the times for those people. Um, and the other thing is just um, just being a mindful of the fact that, you know, they let you get on the course. So this is a really weird thing to cycle across. So the first finisher crosses the line at, at the end of their race. And there's usually like, you know, 20 minutes, say, before the next race. So the the winner crosses the line. But it, there could still be people who are just starting the last lap because cyclocross is a short you know short course where you do multiple laps um so people then will get on the course after the finish line to pre-ride but there are still people that are out there racing um so if you come up on one of them you know they might be going slower than you're trying to pre-ride that's not that's not their problem like you are you are supposed to stay behind them and let them finish their race because it's still technically like their time to be on course Um, so just being really mindful of of other people on the course as you're pre-riding yeah and just be careful I mean I I think there's there's both sides of it like when you're the person who's riding and you feel like someone's going to pass you I think it's hard because often these people are newer or, or really nervous but just try and not be too stressed about the people behind you and and just assume that they're going to be nice people a little bit and you can be thinking how are you going to let them pass but you don't need to look at them because i think sometimes the the stress of like trying to look if they're going to pass you and stuff then that throws that person off right the the person who's being passed so i think just being trying to relax in that moment and think okay can i get to the side of the trail and and you can communicate that but you don't need to be um, super nervous, I guess, or super tense or, or, or throw yourself offline too much, which is easier said than done, um, but worth practicing. So that's almost more in race though. Uh, in general, just if there was someone behind you, like usually you are in the lead, so you have the right of the way and someone shouldn't run you off the, the trail and it does happen. And I apologize for this. Well, definitely not when you're racing. And oh the person no, behind but I'm going to pre-riding. So in that specific setting, that person shouldn't even know you're there yeah, exactly. because you think, oh, I'll just ride behind them because they're just, you know, you assume maybe that they like are really comfortable with people riding behind them, but they are very self-conscious in a lot of senses or in a lot of situations. So it's better a, just not to be on the course if someone's finishing their race. But if 
you are and for some reason that's allowed i would just try and be like two corners behind them um like it's just you're going in in some ways you're going so slow relative to how you would maybe pre-ride if you're that super pro maybe you just shouldn't be on the course like what are you doing doing that right so maybe just wait or you know if there's a section of the course that's been cleared maybe you could like trial that section a little bit while you're waiting and just don't interact with those people at all which includes drafting them right like you can't just sit on someone because they're going to ask you if you want to get by right um so i think just being courteous yeah in that sense hopefully that makes sense i don't want to sound like i'm telling the the people at, at the back to like chill out or something but uh what i'm saying is like race your own race and just assume people are generally good and when they're not then hopefully they're relegated for that yeah exactly um and then her other point was cyclocross is really interesting because if you're if you're new to it and you have a mechanical it might not occur to you that you can still finish your race but i mean there's a ton like kathy just wanted to kind of point out like running with your bike in cyclocross is a totally accepted thing um so you know, if you have a mechanical or, you know, you flat your tire or whatever and the pit's really far away and, you know, it's going to be a really long day if you run, you can still run and do it and it's fine. Your, your race doesn't have to be over just because you've had a mechanical. Yeah, I mean, maybe thinking too, if you're racing the double two days, then maybe you want to be careful running too much. Um, certainly if the race is you know, you might get pulled at some point, which is fine. That's often better, you know, to be told to stop versus, you know, quitting, so so to speak. Um, if you have, if there is pits, which there are in cyclocross twice a lap usually, then, you know, working on getting something in the pits, you know, I have some clients now with road bikes, they'll just put their road bike in since it's disc, you know, they'll put knobbier tires on it. And, you know, that might not be, they maybe have to be very delicate going around the course, but they can still sort of finish yeah or if you're in a master's category like a mountain bike possibly yeah just know the rules right it might be a, you might be able to put like your old set of wheels in there and maybe it's not tubular but you know give yourself that chance um and yeah i mean often running you know a, a 2k lap and maybe you can if it's a, a chain's broken or something or it's you know a rear flat sometimes you can ride in a couple grassy sections or scooter a little bit so often you don't have to run the whole way you can like sort of in a straight line maybe ride a flat again depending on the terrain and stuff so yeah i mean you may as well you're there right and if you're just if you've driven all the way there and that's the one day then you may as well go for a jog yeah exactly okay cool and then last question here is how to use power speed heart rate just any kind of measurable during a race i don't think i would for this race there's maybe situations someone might but yeah i mean it's so up and down like it would be feeling for sure I know a lot of elite racers will actually ta- like put tape over their or Garmin in their pocket screen. or on their watch. A lot of a lot of watches for sure, and just so that when you switch bikes, your watch stays with you. Yeah, although uh, you know, reminder in cross, just make sure. I I don't really know of anyone that would wear their watch on their right hand, but just think about you know you lift your like how you lift your bike and stuff yeah you certainly some watches run into your hand and stuff like especially the big ones like i have a triathlon one and it definitely like can give a good like it sort of like rubs i guess most is yeah. the issue so just but... kind of make sure you can move your wrist really easily in a lot of different ways without the watch being sure. annoying yeah yeah i i don't know i mean some people maybe would say oh you use like normalized power but it's just you start as hard as you can and then your first laps as hard as you can and then you settle in and you just need to be, I think a lot of people, especially when they start talking about this, so this is more of a mountain bike discussion or, you know, road, maybe you can use it more. You're sort of pacing the climb or once you're in the breakaway, you sort of 
you know, you know, you can hold your threshold. So you TT it at that threshold or something. Um, and that's something you've tried a lot in, in practice, but I, I just, I don't, I, I think I would just be so focused on the next corner and it's always just like the next corner is only a seconds away. Right. Or the next dismount. So I don't see that data. What was that? There was three things. It was power, heart rate. And was there something? Speed. Oh, uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think it's interesting data. Like after the, the fact, maybe you can like see like your peak powers is what we look at, you know, the five, 10 second, you know, 30 second, 60 second, maybe a five minute, you know, maybe you look at the average and the normalized power for the race, but it depends a lot, right? If you run, you know, what do you, you know, I don't know. Yeah, your, your if it's average cold. power gets dropped pretty hard if you're running a bunch of it. Sure. Um, yeah, I think maybe in warm-up might be a place you could use some of that. You maybe have, like, a sure. targets you're going to, you know, sit at. You know, we talked last time about the 30-second, 45-second sort of warm-up efforts, especially on the trainer. People will use it. Um, you know, you could do a five-minute threshold effort. You know, again, just like you do, I, I try and always bring this back to what do you do in training, you know, in, in your cyclocross, like, things do you use power? You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you do, but you know, probably in your warmups, you have, have an idea of sort of what that looks like. So if you do, I always say, I want to get my heart rate up to, um, so in my warmup, I like to see it at least at the average that I would usually race at. Um, I always find my heart rate's a little slow to get going. So that's sort of what I set it at. And I always figure if I can get my heart rate to that average, at least I've touched that like race pace. Right, um, right. And usually that coincides with I'm warm, right. And I'm, I feel activated and on a hot day, it's a lot easier to get my heart rate up and I don't warm up as much. Right. And so sometimes heart rate can be nice in that sense. Like art, where are you at physiologically? But in the race, I wouldn't like, it just would scare you, whatever you saw. It's either either too low or too high. So I think for something short and super technical, like cyclocross, I don't, in a general sense, I don't see a, a use. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, the only other thing that I would add, since we've been talking about gear a bunch, is if you do have a power meter on your bike, for God's sake, be careful with the pressure washers. Mm, yeah. um, this is such a big thing. I've I've seen so many power meters wrecked. I think it's gotten a lot better, but yeah, you just it's same as like the linkages on mountain bikes and hubs and you know headsets. You don't need to like pressure wash directly at it, even if it does mean you know maybe you have to give it a little bit extra, like a scrub or a wipe down by hand. Yeah. Just like spraying the back of your, your power meter crank or. Yeah. Just be super mindful of that. And, you know, if you have someone in the pit for you, um, just kind of maybe remind them. Try and do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's my last You're asking word on a that. lot of that for sure. Yeah. I haven't seen some of the just like puddles. You're like power washing a bike sitting in a puddle. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Awesome. Well, I think we'll we'll end it there. If anyone has any other cyclocross questions or any other questions in general, especially as we kind of head into the the endurance sport off season, we kind of we have some cross country ski content coming up. We have some skiing content coming up in the next month or so. A lot of really interesting. Actually, we have a lot of really cool interviews that are going to come out. Yeah, in the next some good few one weeks. on unlock. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. If anyone has contacts or thinks they should be on the show, you probably just said that, but um, yeah always looking for ideas and people and thank you for reaching out comments criticisms thanks thanks for being here. direct criticisms to at peter glassford <laughs> compliments go to at i mean Molly the form comes to me anyhow i can filter it for you yeah thank you dear um, and then as always consummateathlete.com at peter glassford at molly j herford and thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week <laughs>